there. Welcome to 2021 and welcome back to Slayer Survive. It's your girl Carly and y'all, I'm all alone this week. As you know, Danny flew back to Brussels and my sis is extremely jet lagged. So I decided to take on this episode all by myself. Please wish me luck. With that being said, I decided to switch it up a bit and bring you a special kind of episode. I'm going to be talking about the recently viral horror movie called Megan is Missing and about a real life case that is similar to the movie. Now, even though this movie was released about a decade ago, I guarantee that you haven't heard about it unless you're a Gen Z or you're a millennial like myself and you love TikTok. So yeah, it actually was TikTok that made this movie get another like recent spark in popularity. So on TikTok, I kept seeing young people reacting to this movie, and in the reactions, people were saying that they were absolutely terrified by what they just watched. Some people say that they couldn't finish the last 20 minutes of it, and the most common reaction I saw was that of people saying, quote, photo number one had them completely traumatized. The movie was gaining so much popularity that the director slash writer slash producer, Michael Goy, he got on TikTok and he released his own statement. He said, do not watch this movie in the middle of the night. Do not watch this movie alone. And if you see the words photo number one pop up on your screen, you have about four seconds to shut off the movie if you're already kind of freaking out before you start seeing things that you maybe don't want to see. So of course, after seeing all that, I knew I had to watch the movie. So I paid a whopping $3.99 to rent that bitch on Amazon Prime. And I can thoroughly confirm all those TikTok reactions were accurate. It was one of the most horrifying movies I've seen and not in the way that most of you are probably thinking. The movie depicts extreme sexual violence involving minors and it's shot in a way that's so raw and real it makes you as a viewer just feel so unbelievably uncomfortable. Towards the end, Bruce even asked if we could just turn it off and him and I both physically felt ill, like our stomachs hurt. I understood why he wanted to turn off the movie, but of course we did finish it. And I would say that it is photo number one that still haunts my nightmares. Now, I know our SOS listeners and I know y'all are like me and are like, oh, well, damn, this movie sounds crazy. I need to see it. But let me also say the quality of the movie, the acting in the movie and just the overall movie is not that good. So sorry. I just needed to get that out there also before you get too hyped. So let me just explain a little bit. Megan is Missing is a psychological horror movie filmed using the found footage format. Other movies that use this kind of format are like Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity. The movie was shot in eight and a half days with a total production budget of $35,000 and a crew of five people. It was filmed with no motion picture lighting equipment, no grip equipment, no professional sound recording equipment, and this was all because the director wanted to have the aesthetics be very raw. I also believe that this was a first-time movie role for most of the actors and actresses in the film, which kind of accounts for the bad acting. The movie was actually filmed in 2006, but it was so controversial, it struggled to find a distributor, which caused it to be released five years later in 2011. New Zealand actually banned this movie when it was released, stating that the sexual assault in the film is shown in such an extreme degree that is likely to be injurious to the public good. Michael Goy knew that the film was going to be controversial, but he always insisted that the movie wasn't intended for any sort of children audience. The movie is intended to scare adults and to be educational for parents. And I totally agree. I totally get what he's saying. Um, The premise of the film is really great, mainly because it's very, very real. 
these things happen. And I do think it's kind of a good lesson learned for adults and parents. So let's get into it. Let me tell you about this crazy movie. And yes, I'm sorry, there's going to be a lot of spoilers because I'm pretty much going to give you a complete rundown of the entire movie. So if you're ready for that, let's go. The film revolves around the days leading up to the disappearance of Megan, a high school student who decided to meet up with a boy she was talking to online. We experience the movie through webcams, phone videos, and blog-style camera footage. The movie first introduces Megan Stewart, a popular high school student who is well-known and liked among her many friends. She comes off as mature for her age and sexually experienced. But most of Megan's friends don't know about her extremely troubled home life. Throughout the movie, we learn that Megan doesn't know who her real father is and that her stepfather is in prison for raping her at nine years old. Megan and her mother have a hostile relationship because her mom blames Megan for her stepfather being gone. Next, we meet Amy Herman, Megan's best friend. Amy comes off as an extremely innocent young girl. Amy isn't popular because she has yet to embrace her teenage self. She doesn't wear makeup. She still plays with stuffed animals, and she doesn't seem very interested in boys. Despite Megan and Amy seeming to be polar opposites, they have formed a deep bond based on their personal needs. Megan wants someone to genuinely care about her while Amy wants to be socially accepted. To celebrate innocent Amy's upcoming 14th birthday, Megan invites her to an abandoned house party some friends of hers were having. And yeah, I said abandoned house party. It was kind of weird. At the party, Megan continues to stick up for Amy as people continue to make fun of her. That night, Amy becomes intoxicated and a guy slaps her in the face when she refuses to have sex with him. Amy runs to find Megan and ends up accidentally walking in on Megan, giving oral sex to the guy hosting the party. Oddly enough, the Megan and Amy backstory, as well as the party, takes up about 75% of this movie. So if you watch this movie, I'll say congrats for making it this far, because it was kind of bad. The acting wasn't good, and legit, the party sequence was some of the most cringy scenes I've ever seen. It really wasn't good, guys. It wasn't. And it's funny to think that my summary for 75% of this movie took up just a couple paragraphs because now I have pages to talk about this movie. The next part of this movie is insane, so please stay tuned. Later in the movie, Megan is introduced by a friend to a guy online named Josh. Josh claims to be a 17-year-old skater who went to Megan's school. As Megan and him talk online, he tells her that his little brother broke his web camera, which leaves her unable to see his face. Initially, they were set to meet at a party, but Josh failed to reveal himself that night, claiming he got shy and intimidated by her popularity. The next day, Megan and Amy go to see a movie and then head back to Megan's house and jump on video chat with Josh. Again, he can see them, but the girls can't see Josh. Here, Josh and Amy virtually meet, and then Megan and Josh agree they're going to meet in person behind a local diner. The following day, Megan is a no-show for school. It is revealed that she went missing and authorities begin to assume she simply ran away. But Amy doesn't believe this and begins a concentrated effort to find her best friend and even talks with Josh online to see if he knows anything about her whereabouts. Uh, That's a good friend right there. Josh tells Amy he doesn't know where she is and that he's also worried about Megan because she never showed up to meet him at the diner that day. The movie then shows a television news report, and this is kind of a side note, but I just wanted to keep this in here um, because this is like one of the scenes that I see in a movie where I just have to tip my hat to the director. So let me tell you about it. There was a woman newscaster reporting on Megan being missing. The newscaster goes into an elaborate detail about Megan. 
about Megan's life and her community and her school with the school principal and some of Megan's friends. And they're saying how popular, beautiful Megan was. She was a role model. She was an honor student. Everyone loved her. They just keep going on. After they finish up that segment on Megan, the newscaster then gives a very brief, short summary about another missing child. And there was no photo. There was no long segment. It was just some small title that read, Missing 13-year-old boy named Tarcel Jackson. And then they went to commercial. And I saw this and I literally paused the movie and I turned to Bruce and I was like, uh, you saw what they just did there, right? So here's Megan, a young white girl. She's gone missing. They give her a full segment dedicated to how wonderful of a girl she is. Here's a photo of her. Please help find her. And then here's a 13-year-old boy, most likely a black boy, Tarcel Jackson. He gets a brief mention, no photo, no segment, no attention. And I just was like, this is reality, people. This is reality. And it, again, this was filmed in 2006. But yet minorities are still experiencing this kind of racial injustice in the media today. So I don't know. I just thought I would leave this in here as in like, hey, good job to the director for kind of bringing spotlight to this because I see you. Anyways, I digress. Four days after Megan goes missing, police obtain security footage from the diner. Megan is seen being grabbed and then pulled away by an unidentified male. In the footage, you cannot see the man's face. It's pretty much his back. And his clothing and his stature do seem to make him look like he's an older man. Amy and Josh continue to talk online. Pretty much Amy's just like still trying to figure out if Josh knows anything about Megan missing. Um, And Josh starts to creep her out while they're talking. He starts to say, oh, I think you're pretty and attractive and all this stuff. And Amy's like, whatever, and keep pushes Josh to tell her what happened to Megan. Josh eventually gets angry and his tone turns really aggressive. Amy says, what did you do with her? And he replies, nothing she didn't do with 100 guys before. After this, Amy decided to tell police about Josh. Uh, My girl, again, she's a good friend. Josh's supposed full name and supposed skater dude-like photo circulates in the media, but police didn't find any clues on who Josh really is. Josh contacts Amy and flips out on her for telling the cops about him. He warns her that free internet screenings can easily be set up and discarded anywhere at any time, meaning the police can't find him. He demands that Amy shuts her mouth about him, threatening that he might have to visit her or her mother if she doesn't leave him be. Now here is where the entire movie takes a horrific turn, so please buckle up. Next, we see a blank screen with the caption that states, Two photographs of a young girl later identified as Megan were found posted on a fetish website's forum. The website owner contacted the FBI because of the graphic, disturbing nature of the photos showing what was clearly an underage girl. The photos have never been released to the public before. We then see a caption that read, quote, photo number one. And just like the director said, you have about four seconds before the photo pops up. And y'all, I just have chills just thinking about this photo. I'm going to go ahead and describe both photos in the way that my mind processed them as I saw them. Photo number one is Megan's head sitting on top of a wooden table. Her eyes are wide open. There's blood in her hair and on her face. Megan's mouth is being held wide open by a metal contraption, and there's a band around her head with two hooks lodged in her nostrils, causing them to stand wide open as well. The first picture was zoomed in, hence why I thought Megan's head was cut off and placed on this wooden table. But nope, the next photo showed me that I was wrong. Photo number two is zoomed out. We can see Megan's pretty much naked body under the wooden tabletop pillory. 
Megan's hands and neck were confined within the wooden contraption. Her hands and knees were very bloody. Her body was dirty. It was a clear indicator that Megan had been tortured and abused. This is where, like, I just went into complete shock during this movie. Like, before this scene, before this photo, like, the movie gave no indication that we were going to see anything like this. Like, I didn't get an indicator I was going to see some crazy shit. So when the photo popped up, I mean, I was just completely shocked. I was just... I mean, I don't know. All I can say is shocked, but shocked is such an understatement for how I felt. I think I had to like pause the movie and regroup myself because it was just so shocking. The next scene is Amy making a video diary at one of her favorite spots in the park under a bridge. She talks about Megan and how even she isn't sure if Megan is still alive. Amy then turns around to grab her stuffed animal when a man's hand enters the frame and grabs her. Next, we have another blank screen with a caption. This caption says that the following scenes are the final 22 minutes of footage found on Amy's video camera after it was discovered. The footage is unedited and unaltered. The footage starts off in what looks to be a dark underground dungeon. We can hear Amy screaming and crying quote-unquote Josh unlocks what looks to be like a wooden prison door and reveals Amy chained in a dirt cell by her neck. She is full of dirt and she has nothing on but her bra and underwear. Amy pleads with Josh to let her go. He tells her that Megan is here, but he will only let her see her when he says so. In the following scene, Josh takes Amy out of her cell and bends her over the wooden tabletop we saw in Megan's photos. With the camera right in Amy's face, we as the viewers uncomfortably watch Amy's body get pushed forward and back as if she's getting raped. Amy cries, and then we see her face just turn numb, and it was like as if her own consciousness left her body. As a warning, I know things are already graphic, but they're about to get a little bit more graphic, so warning. So because Josh is not in the frame, um, but because of what we're seeing it's a clear indication that Amy's being raped. Um, But I found myself hoping that Amy wasn't getting sodomized. But then one second later, Josh's hand lands on the wooden table and is full of blood. So clearly you can put two and two together and come to a conclusion. More graphic scenes follow showing Amy in captivity. Josh gives her food and only allows her to eat by making her kneel on the floor, put her hands behind her back and makes her eat like a dog. At one point, he throws her stuffed animal at her, which she hugs and cuddles while crying in the cell. Josh then takes Amy out of the cell again, this time talking kindly to her, asking if she wants to go home. He tells her he has to put her in this big plastic barrel so she doesn't see where he lives. He opens up the barrel to reveal Megan's decomposed body. Again, this shot was also horrifying. Megan's eyes were wide open, pretty much staring at the camera. Like, it's one of those shots that haunts my memories. Amy screams and freaks out. Rightfully so. I mean, it freaked me out. And Josh shoves her into the barrel and seals it. Then, for the most uncomfortable 12 minutes of my life, we see Josh digging a hole in the dirt while the barrel is off to the side and we can hear Amy crying in it. Amy tries every tactic in the book to convince Josh she's a real person with people who love her and she just wants to go back home. She tries telling Josh she loves him and that they can live together. She'll do anything. Just please let her go. But nothing seems to work. Josh never responds. He just digs and digs and digs and digs. Finally, we watch as he pushes the barrel into the dirt and we hear Amy cry as he buries her alive. And y'all, that's the movie. Um, Like, that's the movie. It's really 
I don't know. It's really crazy. It's like the raw found footage style. It like forces viewers to watch these incredibly uncomfortable scenes. And I just found myself as someone who researches fucked up cases on the weekly for this podcast. I'd say it like helped me confront and like fully realize the horror that these people in the cases that I cover go through. It was just really crazy. And I think just as a whole, the movie's premise is like a harsh reality about like predators using social media to find victims and just like the dangers about the Internet, Um, which brings me to my next point. In doing research, I found a study done by the University of New Hampshire's Crime Against Children Research Center. And according to the study, social media networks played a role in 95% of cases involving Internet sex crimes against minors in 2006. Social media networks were used by predators to find likes and interests of victims, information about their home and schools, victim-specific whereabouts, and to look at pictures of victims. So I'm not here to say, hey, monitor your child's internet activity, but I am going to say, hey, it's important to at least have a conversation with your kids about the dangers of talking to people online. I personally remember being 12 years old, being on AIM, and being in Yahoo chats, and I remember being asked by plenty of strangers, what's my ASL? And for those people who are too young to know, ASL means age, sex, and location. And honestly, my parents never gave Danny or I a talk about internet safety, but luckily I would say we always had a general understanding since our family's professions was like IT related. Now watching Megan is Missing, it seemed all too familiar to the cases that me and Danny have covered on the podcast before, and I wondered if there was a specific case that the film was based on. So I did some research and I tried to find some interviews by the director, Michael Goy. Um, So in this one interview by Entertainment Weekly, he said, quote, everything that's in the movie is based on real cases. There's nothing in the movie that I made up. Everything came from documents, court transcripts, surveillance videos, file photos, all of that from seven different cases. And so in that sense, it's entirely accurate to what actually happened in these individual cases. Just the seven cases were meld into one storyline. Michael Goy has never explicitly said which cases the movie was based on, but there is this one case in particular that has a lot of similarities. And that is the case of Alicia Kazakevich. I would love to do a deep dive into her case. And so when I started doing research, I was like, look, I need an episode for this. So sorry to leave you on a cliffhanger. I will cover her case during my next survivor story on the podcast. So please just stay tuned for that. So I hope you all enjoyed my summary of the movie. Megan is missing. My sister will be back with us next week. Um, wait, so Danny's not here, so I have to do the social media spiel. Oh my gosh, here we go. If you could be so kind to rate and review us, it really helps us out. Also, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Slayer Survive. You can also visit our website and follow along with the cases we cover at SlayerSurvive.com. And please, if you have any personal SOS stories that you would like us to share, or if you have any case case recommendations, can talk, any case recommendations, please email us at SlayerSurvive at gmail.com. Woo! Okay, that was a lot. All right, guys. Until next time. See ya.